0: We are going to continue in our series, the, the series that we've been in. Uh, we've been in it for several weeks, the Alpha and Omega, God from beginning to end. We've been seeing God's eternality, his existence in all time. He always has been, he always will be, and he is right now. And, and, and so um, that is the focus. We're going to be here for, for some time dealing with this. Even as we move into Advent, we're going to be seeing how Jesus is fulfilling in his first coming, he's fulfilling promises that get established and, and, and needs that get established all the way back in Genesis. And so all the way through Advent, we're actually going to be dealing with that. But the next three weeks, what I thought we would do is in these first seven or eight weeks, uh, it's actually been about eight weeks. Um, in the first eight weeks, it, we're dealing with doctrines that, that if we're not careful, they'll just be infor- informational. They'll just be informing our minds and I thought, you know, before we jump into Advent, I thought let's let's not let's not miss just how absolutely practical, absolutely relevant this is. The Genesis and Revelation, when you think about it, God from beginning to end, and He is right now, that matters, right? Like it, it's Genesis and Revelation aren't written just simply so that there can be bookends to the Bible and all the important stuff happens in the middle. These two bookends to the Bible establish a truth that's relevant right now. That in, in this very moment is meaningful. To life, And we're going to see that today, especially, I think, just in the reality of knowing who we are, is being able to answer the question, who am I? Because reality is we can't fully understand who we are apart from knowing, not just about God, not just having information of God, but knowing God. So we're going to seek to answer the question, who am I? I and see how his eternal nature, his eternal attributes, the reality that he exists at all times, is central to something as practical as defining and knowing ourselves. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter one, is where we're going to start. Uh, Genesis 1, 26 through twenty nine, and then we will we will walk through some passages. So I want you to go ahead if you're if you got your Bible open. Uh, let me let me make note of something real quick. Um, on the U version event that we put out every week, I have put a supplemental set of stuff and I'll talk more about it later. But make note if you're not using the UVersion Live event during the service, that's fine. I I would rather you not be distracted with internet or notifications if that's if that's a problem and you don't want to turn off your notifications. Um, I'd rather you not use it and look at it later. But for those that do use it or don't normally use it, you won't see this. I want you to know there's gonna be there's an informational supplemental amount of information, just a a block of information that I put there This pertinent to today's message that we're not going to be able to deal with it all. I just wanted it it to be available. So anyway, that's out there. Uh, Anyway, so Genesis 1 is where we're going to start. But then get ready to flip over to Genesis 5, right? So it's it's not very far over. But then you also need to get ready to flip to Romans 5, okay? So we're going to deal with Genesis 1 is where we're going to start. We're going to move to Genesis 5. And then get your finger ready to just put your finger in there or put your bulletin or something, put a bookmarker in there. Be ready to flip over to Romans 5 uh, as we move through. Okay, so Genesis 1, we'll read that, we'll pray, we'll we'll, we'll jump in. So Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26, the word says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So let's pray. Father, this is your word. You, you, you have purposely, you have intentionally had it written to inform us and, and, and teach us, train us, equip us, and enable us to live this life. Your, your word tells us itself. It tells us that all scriptures from you. It's breathed out by you. It's made known by you. And it's good for for showing us correction and giving us the correct path to live by and and training us and equipping us for every good work. So so I pray, Father, that by your word today as we study and see who we are, who, who we really are, not who we want to be or who we'd like to be in our flesh, but who we are. I pray that you'd move on us and empower us to live in light of that identity. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question, who am I? That's really going to be the heart. That's really going to be the the driving idea. Who who am I? And we answer this question every time we introduce ourselves. And we may not think about the question, right? It's not like, hey, I'm so-and-so. We don't stop and think, oh, who am I? We've got really used to just identifying ourselves and helping people know who we are. And so how do you you just think for a second, how do I typically answer that question? It, It may depend on the context. You know, it may be depending on who you're speaking with. Maybe you're speaking at you. Maybe you're at a at at a work conference, and so you're going to immediately identify yourself as some worker for some company. I I, I look out and I see Eric Funk, and I I I think when he walks into a emergency room room and he's busy, I'm I'm guessing he says, "I'm Doctor So and So," because nobody wants um, I don't know aircraft mechanic Seth to walk in the room to fix him. Right? (laughs) That, 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 That doesn't fit. So there's, there's ways that we identify ourselves, and oftentimes it's, it's vocationally, it, it's, it's relationally. So, so sometimes, depending on the context, you might introduce yourself as the husband or wife of so-and-so, the, the mother or father of so-and-so, the brother or sister, the father, the mother. I, I might have already said that. But other times we're going to define ourselves off of our interests, things we like, things we prefer, right? So I, I can't help but think, as I think about this one, I can't help but think about these personal ads that we kind of make light of, but but you know, before internet dating was, there was newspaper dating, and people would fill out classifieds and put an ad in the paper, single white male, well, I'm a married white male, so I guess that wouldn't really work, it'd be bad if I put, a, put an ad in the paper, but um, I like long walks on the beach and ha- hiking and camping, and you know, it, it always am- amazes me. That there are so many women who like hi- hiking and camping, but then they're really not outdoorsy at all. They're just looking for somebody, and they think that's a way to attract, some, attract them. Anyway, it's just striking, but, but it's out there, right? Like, we identify ourselves based on our interests and the things we like to do or our experiences. Sometimes good. I just won $1.8 billion in the lottery. I would love to introduce myself that way, <laughs> except that I'd have to play the lottery to do that. It's not going to happen. Uh, now if you want to identify yourself as that to me, then I'll, let's talk because <laughs> we need some help. No, just kidding. <clears throat> the, 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 you just think about it. So, so sometimes it's good stuff. Sometimes, oftentimes, maybe most often when we identify by our experiences, the things we've experienced in life, it's often the hardships, the victimization that we've experienced, the abuse we've endured. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, cancer survivor i'm i'm this or that i'm identifying i'm trying to help you understand who i am based off of what i've experienced and all of these all of these certainly they, they all provide some information about us right like we can find common ground on these things so if you're talking to a parent and you're a parent oh man let me tell you we've got some things in common but they aren't really us are they like just take a moment and try to describe yourself. Who am I? Without all of those things, who am I? And some of us may immediately run to things like ethnicity. Well, I'm a Caucasian, or I'm, Amer- I'm American nationality, or I, I'm, 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 I'm this or that. I'm. But is that who you are? You know, are we, we might think of things like uh, personality types: introvert, extrovert. It exhausts me. Now, I'm not introverted; I'm more extroverted. But for for the introvert, it exhausts that person to to experience time to spend time with people, and though they love people, that just exhausts them, and so they need lots of time away. I'm an introvert. Is that really who you are? Is that just describes some aspect of you? Who am I? I'll never forget the first time that I was asked this question and not given any ability to depend on the things we normally depend on to answer that question and I fun- suddenly felt at a loss. Introduce yourself with all, without all the cultural normative ways that you introduce yourself. Who am I? It's answered right here in this passage. The very core identifying factor, the very central uh, 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 trait of being human, the thing that unites us all, the answer to this question that every person who has ever lived and who ever will live can answer this question in this way. Who am I? I am God's image bearer. I bear his image. If you remember, we studied this just a few weeks ago. We walked through what it means that we bear his image. And there's so much tied into this. There's so much significant truth that's conveyed in these words that I bear God's image. This is who I am. It's the very central and core identifying factor of each and every person in this room. Of course, it'd be weird, right? Like we don't walk up to one another suddenly and begin introducing ourselves. Hi, I'm Seth. I'm a reflection and representative of God in this world. I am His image bearer. That would be weird, right? Nobody's going to do that. We're not. That's not where we're going to start. The truth is, most people don't only not start here. Most never build anything out of here. Most of us either ignore it or reject it from from the get-go. And I would suggest that this ignoring and rejecting has resulted in a severe, a, 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 a deeply concerning identity crisis. A world full of people seeking not to receive the identity that's been Given to them, that's been bestowed on them, but that they've been called, but seeking to define themselves in terms of what they like, what relationships they have, or don't have. Standing in contrast and comparison to the other people in the world, whether that's ethnicity or wealth or lack of wealth. <laughs> I I think because we have ignored or rejected this this core identifier assigned to us, assigned by the one who created us, we've been forced to to draw on lesser identifiers that leave us wanting at every step. And though we don't admit it every day, and though we don't talk in these terms every day, every one of us have experienced in some form or fashion... An identity dysphoria. We don't know who we are because we don't know the one whose image in who, which we bear. And we've asked a fallen sinful world, we've asked a, a horizontal relationship, a horizontal experience, a, a, a worldly realm preference to be the definition of our identity rather than the one that we've been assigned from the very beginning. And it leaves us in a desperate, desperate place. For example, if you ident- identify as, as an occupation. Oh man, I, I've lost his name all of a sudden. I want to say it's not Dr. Who, it's Dr. Strange. Right? He was a world-class surgeon until what happens? Crashed. All of a sudden, you can't be a world-class surgeon. What's happened to you? The story is, it's, it's not that there's not some measure of truth in this, right? Like we know, the truth we know it's not true. But we can all identify with this guy who suddenly is struck with this identity crisis because he can't be what he thought he was, right? The truth is, I, I'm old. I'm getting older. I don't like to say that out loud, but I hurt when I lay down. I hurt when I get up. I you know, it's just this happening and, and I can't do now what I used to do then. I, I, I remember the days as an aircraft mechanic thinking, how in the world am I gonna do this until I retire? This is hard work. We talk about it. Oh, you gotta get a management job, you gotta get off the floor, you gotta do something else, you gotta get into sales, you gotta whatever. You gotta find a way to to do something a little bit less demanding. Every one of us faces this at some point, if we identify by our occupation, all of a sudden we're not able to do our occupation, who are we? How about what happens when this, this other person that you've built your identity upon ceases to be that other person that you've built your identity upon? Say, as an example, a spouse that dies and suddenly you're not married anymore. Cheats. Cheats. Suddenly you're not married anymore. Leaves. What happens when that person you thought you were because of that other person can't be the same person you thought you were because that other person isn't the person you thought they were? How about being a parent? It's important. It's noble. Suddenly you lose that child or that child leaves you or maybe something more normal more normative that child isn't as good as we'd like them to be and maybe look makes us look bad in front of the world we long to know us as a good parent what happens when in a world uh, uh, what, uh, the preference becomes the becomes the dominating identi- identi- identifying factor And then some of those preferences happen to be prohibited in Scripture. What happens when suddenly the way you identify yourself is called sin in the Scripture? So so the theistic perspective, let's just just take this for a second, right? Like it doesn't, I know where our minds immediately go because when we talk about gender identity and sexual identity and things like that. but, But it doesn't start there. It doesn't have to be there. How about for the person who identifies as an atheist? And the Scriptures clearly speak against the person who rejects God. What do they do when they hear the scriptures speak against who they identify to be? This is a, a deep offense, right? So now they're now it's not just hey, this is something I do, something I think. This is an, a, an offense to me pers- this is to the, to the person I am. Sexual identity. When our preference, and it doesn't even have to be homosexuality or bisexuality. What if I'm just a guy who likes girls and doesn't believe in marriage? all of a sudden this identity is in contradiction to I can't be who I am you see you, you see where I'm headed you see what's happening right you, you see how who we are ultimately defines how we live but then We've flipped it on its head, and, and we've begun begun—we've rejected and ignored the, the very central center identifying factor about who we are. And not only now, do, we're seeking not to define ourselves according to him and what he said, but according to what we do. So now we take what we do, what we prefer, what we long for in the world, what we desire, and we build an identity out of it, and it's caused a severe identity crisis. It's put in us in a place where it's not just now rejecting God, but we're actually at odds with him. Because this is who I am, God. Why are you not giving me what I. You've taken this from me. How can I be who you created me to be? Maybe if we just realized He didn't create us to be these things, He created us to be His image bearer, a reflection and representation. There's so much much that this speaks to, intrinsic to God's image. I am relational. I'm, 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 I'm created. You're created for relationship. It's not good that the man be alone. I'm going to create a helper suitable for him. God never created us to, to live independently of him. In fact, if you go back and think about the sermon, or if you go back and listen to the sermon on, on uh, image of God back about three or four weeks ago, You'll recognize that God's image defines us in relation to Him, in relation to the creation, and in relation to one another. Intrinsic to this identity, there is relationship. But this relationship is an expression of that identity, not the defining characteristic of that identity. His image defines this in us. In relation to Him, we're under His authority. We're dependent upon Him. There's a moral code because God is holy. We should reflect holiness, right? Intrinsic to the very nature of being his reflection, his representation. What we should do and shouldn't do is defined just by carrying his image. The created order in relation to the created order, we're higher than that. We're distinct among the creation. We exercise authority over it, but we have responsibility to it. Right? If you go back and look, you, you see, let us make man in our own image. This is the distinction that, that God makes in, in the midst of creating. He says, wait a minute, this one creature, this one, this the <laughs> actually it turns out to be two creatures, but these creatures are going to bear my image. It makes them distinct in all the created order, it makes them like me. Defining us in relation to him, in relation to the creation. And he begins to tell them, go rule, subdue, exercise authority in the earth. Right? So it so 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 it Gives us a, a distinction from and authority over and responsibility to. And, in, and then, in relation to one another, he created them. Male, or he created man in his image. He created them. Male and female, he created them. Sorry. So equal in bearing his image. And as the book works out in Genesis 2, we see that they're complementary to one another. Adam cannot be fruitful and multiply without Eve. Eve can't either. We're created to complement one another, to give one another what's what's lacking in the world without another of us. Complementary, equal in being, responsible to one another and for one another. And, and, And that immediately moves into the responsibility, right? Intrinsic to God's image, I am responsible. He is assigned purpose based on our identity. Now, how backwards is this to what we typically do? We, we determine our responsibility, our identity based on our responsibility. I'm a parent because I had kids, so now I'm responsible to be a parent, right? Like uh, This is what I do now. This is who I am. He assigned responsibility because of who he made us to be by bearing his image. We are now to reflect his nature, his holy nature. There's a moral responsibility to re- represent him on the earth, exercise dominion. There's a moral responsibility to fill the earth, multiply, fill the earth. He tells them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with what? His representatives, his reflections. People who demonstrate his goodness and his holiness and his glory on the earth. Not by displacing him or replacing him, but simply by reflecting him, representing him. And it makes us rich. Beyond imagination, it makes us rich. I was just having a conversation was with Nathan uh, about a conversation he and Faith were having. And we were made rich. He, all these trees, all this stuff, it's yours. He made us abundantly wealthy. Intrinsic to bearing his image. We are abundantly wealthy. Right? He didn't have, he, one tree he held back. One thing he prohibited. Just one. The rest of it's yours. All of it. Enjoy it. I was just having this conversation just before. I was telling you, Nathan was talking about a conversation he and Faith had. And, and, and this idea of this $1.8 billion lottery has us fooled to believe that some way there's an avenue to wealth and riches apart from God. I'm just, I'm going to tell you that even the richest, I think is the richest man still Bezos, right? The richest man in the world who, regardless of who his name is, is still not really wealthy in terms of who God is and what God has and what he's missing in his life. Uh, Amy was just watching a documentary about uh, Selena, Selena, is she a singer? Okay. All right. Uh, I think she was born maybe in Mexico or, no, in Texas, I think somewhere in South Texas. Anyway, documentary, I think it's on Netflix. You can watch it if you want. Uh, But this person who by all outward appearances would have everything the world longs for is crushed with anxiety and pressure because she knows she doesn't measure up. She's not good enough. Even the people that appear to have it all together don't have it all together apart from God. They're not as wealthy as you may believe they are in terms of the wealth and the riches that God gave us in knowing him and bearing his image. It's just intrinsic. I mean, immediately as as he speaks of his identity and bearing his image, these, these things are natural expressions of it. They're intrinsic to it. And we know. We know that that's not exactly how things are today, right? We've we've studied that. We, we didn't stop at the image of God and, and quit studying in Genesis, and all of a sudden we've got this 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 naive idea that oh no, everything's great. You just just figure out that you bear God's image. We we know that that's that that's that that's true. We we know that it's true, but but we know that there's so much. We're missing something. There's still something off. If I bear God's image, why is? relationship so hard? Why, is, why is, is my responsibility? Why is it that I do what I know I shouldn't and I don't do no, what I know I should? Why, why? Why am I struggling? Why am I always dissatisfied? Why do I never recognize the abundance I've been given? Why? Genesis 3, All right? We saw it happen. We studied it. They ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. They sinned against God. They rebelled against him. They rejected, but, but, but no better way to say it. They rejected the, the very core of their identity. They rejected who they were by rejecting the God who said, you bear my image. It was was a sin against God, and and they are going to bear out the consequences of that and the corruption of that. Unfortunately, we know that the story continues. So Genesis 3 happens, and it would be great if it ended there, and they were the only people that ever dealt with it. But we know that the story continues. So flip over to Genesis 5. So Genesis 4 is a description of the, of the, at least as far as we know it, the first two sons of, of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Abel does acts faithfully, Cain doesn't, and, 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 and Cain gets jealous and kills his brother. <laughs> he, he's jealous and angry and wants what Abel has, and so he just takes Abel from the face of the earth and finds out the consequences of that are his own curse. And then we come to Genesis 5. And Genesis 5 begins to tell us the story of Adam's line that actually extends outside of Cain. It says in verses 1 through 3, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. Now pay attention to that. He fathered a son in his own likeness after his Image, and named him Seth. Now notice what, no, no, what what Moses does here. Notice that he starts off reminding us what happens in Genesis chapter one. These people are created in the image of God. He reminds us that there's a reflection, a representation, that there's intrinsic to the to the to the to the identifying factor of. Of being created in God's image is a relational component, right? It's the the connection to Him, the connection to creation, the connection to to one another. But then look what He does. They have another son. They name him Seth. If that's all they had to say about that next son, then that may be different. Things may be different. But that's not what He has to say about that next son. What's He say? Whose likeness? Whose image? Adams. And here's what's interesting. The way Moses does this, it appears to me, and I, and, and I think if, if, you, if you dig and study, I think you'll see the same thing as I have, that he intends to show us that the image of God continues into Seth, that he inherits God's image. He's still an image bearer of God because Adam bears that image. And so any that are in his likeness are going to bear that image. But alongside that image is something else his own likeness. Now, if Adam hadn't sinned, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, if they hadn't eaten the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat, then we probably wouldn't even care about this verse because all it would be is just to see people that are bearing God's image. But Adam passes something else on. In fact, you can see it in the rest of the chapter. We're not going to read it all, but let me just highlight a couple of things that happen in the next and following verses. Adam lives 130 years. He fathers other sons and daughters, right? Or, I'm sorry, he lives 130 years. He has Seth. He lives a while longer, like 800 more years, has other sons and daughters. And then in verse 5, thus all the days of Adam lived 930 years and he died. Seth lives 105 years, father Zenosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 800 and years. He lives a whole, whole total of 912 years and he died. Every person in this lineage dies. Why is that significant? Because what what did God say would happen when they ate the fruit? They would die. The next thing we see happen is in, in the very last verse, verse 32, after Noah was 500 years old, wait a minute, Noah, who's Noah? You don't have to know a lot about the Bible to know something about Noah's ark and Man's thoughts were evil all the time. And so what did God do? He killed them all except for Noah and his family. Who were graciously led to build an ark and they escaped death and they become the father of all nations. But what what ends up, or, or the father and mother of all peoples. So what ends up happening is every one of us are related to Noah. Because our lineage goes back to Noah because he and his wife are the ones who now are the parents of all people back to Seth, back to Adam and Eve. Here's the reality is that that we are marked by sinful, dying parents, every last one of us. And you will pass this to your children also. Paul picks up on this idea, and and he builds out this idea further. So so everybody dying and everybody sinning, he, he picks up on this idea in Romans chapter 5. Let's go ahead and just flip over there, Romans chapter 5, and let's just see what ends up happening or what he, what he teaches us. So Romans chapter 5, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. Therefore, because, now he's building an argument and we're kind of coming into the middle, but, but you'll see what, what, what's happening. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Who's that one man? Adam. Just as sin came in through that one man and death through sin, right? So, so, so we sin and we die, right? Now, I told you that, that we didn't inherit death from Adam. We inherited sin. I, I, I said something to this effect. Uh, during the during the talk, so, so we get sin from Adam, and we die because of our own sin, right? We inherit his sin, and naturally, as a result, we die. We're conceived that way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sin. Now, it doesn't mean that we're born into uh, we're born innocent and we're going to sin and then we die. No, we are we, we are sinning in Adam. His nature of sin infects every last one of us, and so every last one of us. End up dying. Intrinsic. In, in the same way that there's things intrinsic to, the, to, the, to, to God's identity, they're intrinsic to Adam's image in us. Intrinsic to, to the fact that we, who am I? I bear Adam's image. Intrinsic to Adam's image are death. I am dead. <laughs> every one of us created in this way. Every, every one of us born in this way. Born dead. Life is limited to a certain span of time, but also every one of us, every last one of us still struggle with the ideas of relationship, responsibility, and riches. In, in, in the relationship, what, what do we know? Division and discord. That's the, natu- that's the natural way of things. In, in responsibility, we don't do the things we should, and we do the things we shouldn't. In the rich... Category and the category of riches, we're never satisfied. We, we never have enough. And even if we have an abundance of one thing, we're lacking in something else. This thing have you ever met anyone that's actually satisfied? Honestly, satisfied. I, I doubt it. I, I love every one of you, but what I know of you. You're all looking for something. I walk with you through a lot of that stuff. Because we don't understand in our sinful nature, in our death, we don't understand in our walking deadness. We do not understand that we have an abundance from God. We try to pretend we're alive. We try to to fill our lives with all kinds of things. Right? Right? We, we believe these lies that if I just get the right spouse or if I just have the right number of kids or if I just get the right job or I just have the right relationship with in-laws and outlaws and, and all of these people, then, then life will be good. If I just get all this horizontal stuff right, then I'll, everything will be good. If I have the right money in the bank, I'll finally be secure. I'll finally feel safe and stable and, and the ground will feel like it's solid underneath of me. If me. If I just have the right stuff. We, we try to prove to ourselves that we're alive all the time, but we are dead, and we're born that way because in Adam, we all sinned. Before we actually sinned, we all were sinners. In fact, that's the next intrinsic reality is that we are all sinful. In Adam, I am dead. I am sinful. We're all dead because we're all sinful. We, 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 we inherited that sin nature from Adam, and because of my sin nature, I'm born this way. We are born this way. Why do we sin? Because we're sinful. We don't, we don't sin and then become sinners. We don't sin and then become sinful. We, we are born sinners, so we are going to sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. Just think about it, especially for you parents, that you think about when did your children learn to sin? The first time they didn't want to be in trouble. The first time they knew there was a consequence to their action. And they've been selfish since the second they came out of the womb. Right? Oh, they're just innocent little babies. I know, they're cute. I, I get it. I understand. But I had to. And I, I watched two grandkids, and I love them. It's so easy to to, to love on my grandkids. But I'm going to tell you, they're sinners. And I... I just know yours are too. You, you can admit it. It's okay. We are born that way. We, we, we don't sin and then become sinners. We're born sinful. It's just, it's the inherited reality of Adam. He gave us in his image, he gave us his sin. And as a result of sin, we all die. That's intrinsic to bearing the, the, the identity or the image of Adam. So so here, we're struck. we got this identity crisis. It's naturally a crisis. And so so it's so easy just to say, well, this is how I am, so why? Why why do I have to suffer in it? Why why is it such a big deal? Why why can't I just be who I am? I mean, I was born this way. We come by it naturally. The truth is, we're we're born as image bearers of God. and, and, And the reason this is such a struggle is we feel the weight of that. That though... We have Adam's image also. We still carry God's image as well. And nothing will fulfill that sense of longing to know who we are until we have that answer. But the reality is is that the fact that we bear Adam's image is not an identifying factor that actually brings the things we all desire. Peace relationally doesn't happen. Comfort in riches doesn't happen. A purpose that's eternal and lasting. See, the thing is, we we, we turn horizontal and we begin to demand all of these things to fulfill us, to make us feel alive, to make us feel valued, to make us feel safe and secure we idolize our relationships to seek our identity and and even though we don't intend to we bring great damage to those relationships to those things and into this world is there any solution yes paul hints at it here in these verses Look back at these verses. Go back to verse 12. Therefore, just as, he came, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Listen, this is an important phrase. Who was the type of the one who was to come. Now look at that, look at that close, at that phrase. Who was a type of the one who was to come. Now think about that language. So Paul is drawing on a promise that's made about one who is to come. One who was promised long ago. Who people had been anticipating. Who people had been looking for. For victory and solution. You recognize that? We talked about it the last couple of weeks, right? Genesis 3.15. Jesus. Or not Jesus. God cursing the serpent but offering a promise. I'm going to bring enmity between you and the woman Genesis 3:15. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first promise that God made is that hey serpent Satan you're going to hurt the one I'm going to send but he's going to crush your head. He's going to put an end to you. He's going to destroy you and your works. It's a promise that the rest of the Bible in time would reveal its fulfillment. And in its fulfillment, Paul, Paul is drawing on that now, and he, and he comes to this place where he says, Adam was a, was a type of the one who was to come, a type of the one who's been promised to come. And he goes on in verse 15, But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, Abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Who am I? I am an image bearer of God. Who am I? I am I bear Adam's image. Who am I? I am in Christ. This is the solution. This is what brings some sense of satisfaction. That brings answer and promise to all that we long for and deeply seek to know in defining who I am. It's no wonder the world is suffering under an identity crisis because they're trying to identify themselves in things that are so weak and feeble. They're too much like themselves unable to carry this weight, who am I? I am in Christ. Now, two quick notes about this. What's been said previously before this point is true of all people. Every person deals with it. What's said about this, I am in Christ, is only true of those who have received this abundant grace. That's what he's talking about. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and Christ abounded for many and the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin for judgment following one trespass brought brought condemnation but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification there's this gift that we must receive there's a gift that we must be given for if because one man's trespass that trespass death reigned through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. It requires faith. It requires the the, the knowing of this God, the the believing and trusting in him. Now, Contextually, I could work this all out for you. You're just going to have to take my word for it that this is what he's calling us to. This isn't applied to everybody. So It would be so great if we could just walk out into the world and everybody's in Christ. There's only one way to receive this free gift, and it is through faith. The next, the second thing I need to point out to you before we move on is I, I, what, what I'm about to say about what's intrinsic to this image of Christ or this being in Christ has a strong sense of already but not yet attached to it. These things are already true but they, they are also being made more true. So, so, so to, to say it just as plainly as I possibly can You are as holy in Christ. You are as holy as you will ever be. But every day that you live on this earth in Christ, you will be made more holy. You are already holy, but you are not yet fully holy. I know that that sounds confusing. That's just the way the Bible presents it, and so that's the way I have to teach it. And I would just call you to believe it. So there's a way in which there's this this already but not yet reality to everything I'm about to say. It's not applied to everyone because only those who have received this free gift by grace, Ephesians 2 comes to mind, Ephesians 2, 2, 8 through 10, by grace you have been saved through faith, right? So this gift of grace comes to us through faith. It's not applied to everybody. And what I'm about to say is absolutely true right now and is being made true, more true every day, intrinsic to being in Christ. We are, I am, you are alive. I love what he does here. In verse 17, you can see it. He says that the justified are going to reign in life. And so suddenly he's talking about this people who aren't dead in sin, but they're alive in Christ. They're alive. This is a, the powerful work of Jesus' sinless life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, defeats death and gives us life. That's why when he approached Mary and Martha and they said, Oh, if you had just been here, you could have healed my son or, or our brother Lazarus. And sorry, <coughs> another, another story entered my head. You could have healed him. You could have healed Lazarus. He would have been okay. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. They're about to learn something about him that they didn't yet know. This is the the witness, the the unanimous witness of all of the, the New Testament scriptures. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, Paul, the author of Hebrews. All of them demonstrate to us that the work of Jesus doesn't just that doesn't just come in and make this world better. It enables dead people to be alive. It changes us at the very core of who we are. I am no longer dead. I am no longer what I was. I am alive. Well, we still live with the difficulties of relationship, responsibility, and riches in this world. Though those things still are a struggle, we know that the life to come will be eternal, and all that is wrong in those will be set right in time. In Christ, I am alive. In Christ, I am righteous. In verse 16, he talks about being justified, right? So so he says, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. It's just another word for for right, being made right, being made uh, righteous, being made sinless, counted without flaw or sin, so Adam, in Adam's image, we are sinful and we are dead. In Christ, we are alive and we are righteous. He fixes, he satisfies, he, 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 in his substitution, he gives us what we weren't. He makes us what we weren't. We have this new identity in him. And so now, not only am I alive, but I am righteous. And not only do I struggle with sin, but I'm actually able to do the right thing. And it speaks to the responsibility issues that we have. It was interesting, Augustine back, uh, man, I can't remember the dates he lived. You know, I'm calendar challenge. It doesn't matter when he lived. It's a long time ago. All right? Just, you can look it up. Like the 300s. I just don't do that, so quit laughing at me. <coughs> anyway, Augustine, right? So, so, so he recognizes, as the Bible teaches, that, that there's these four states of man as, as, as the Bible kind of unfolds. There's Adam and Eve who could have not sinned. They actually had everything within them to, to just not sin. They had every ability. No, don't sin. Adam, Eve sin, and everybody that comes after them in Adam's image, we can't do anything but sin. So the first state of man is you don't have to sin, cannot sin. The second state of man is can only sin. The third state of man is now we have this new image, this new identity in Christness, and we can sin or not sin. Because of what Christ has done in you, because he has made you alive and he has made you righteous, he hasn't just made you right in standing, he has made you righteous in person. Every time you face temptation, you have the opportunity not just to fall to temptation, but to stand in the face of temptation. Right? We we don't have to fall. We can say no to the things that are wrong. We can step in and fight against our flesh. In fact, Peter calls us to this, to, to, to uh, live such good lives in front of the pagans, to, 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 to um, resist the desires of the flesh that wage war against our soul. He, he says, because of who you are, you can do this. The fourth state of man, which will be after Christ returns and in, in the new heavens and new earth, we won't be able to sin. Oh, man, I long for that day when that old nature, when that old man is no longer plaguing me. In fact, that, that, that's the reality, right? Like that, The reason we struggle, the reason we fight is because we're so used to this old person, this old nature, and all of its desires. But Jesus has made us alive. He has made us righteous. That speaks to the responsibility that we can now do the things. He's enabled us. He's made us able to do the things we're supposed to do and not do the things we're not supposed to do. But he's also, in Christ, I am richly Blessed, and so you can see this—the abundance, the abundance of His grace—is again speaking of how, how much God has given us, and speaking of, of, of the ways that He's not kept anything from us. And, and the verse that I like most when I think about that is from Ephesians chapter one, verse three, where He speaks that He says, that, "Blessed be the Father, or blessed be the Godfather of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places." Blessed be the Godfather of our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea is is praise Him, and in fact, the the word blessed. In this context, in this language, the, the original word is sing praises, speak well, speak highly of, say good things about. Praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. It's the exact same word. that Because he has spoken well, spoken highly, said good things about you in Christ with every spiritual blessing. The idea here is that he has spoken the highest truths, the highest good things, the best things about people who are in Christ. Christ And why is this significant? Because what God says is. God said, let there be light. And the scripture tells us, it was so. Right? Water below, separate from water above. And it was so. This is so important, so significant. I am richly blessed in Christ. You are richly blessed in Christ. He has spoken well of you in Christ. And there's a whole list of things that come from that. Chosen, holy, blameless. Redeemed, forgiven, lavishly given grace. Made knowledgeable of the mystery of his will, a plan for the fullness of time. He has blessed us abundantly. The things that went wrong in Adam and Eve are set right in Christ. Who am I? I am in Christ. That matters today. Because when I recognize and suddenly realize that I am in Christ, there is nothing else I need. I am in Christ, and I am richly blessed, and I am reconciled. The relationships that we were created to enjoy once again can be fully enjoyed. This is for the many. This isn't just for you. This is for the many. There's a way in which he's doing this to a people. Galatians 3, 26, 28, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Relationally, responsibility and and riches, all of those things are satisfied, all those things intrinsic to the image of God that... Every one of us bear are answered in the image of Christ that we all now have been redeemed into. Who am I? I am an image bearer of God who is plagued by the image of Adam, but who has been redeemed by the image of Christ. And that matters for everything. It matters for every way in which I enact and, and react or act and react and interact with the world around me. But I say all of that, I say all of that to, 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 to introduce the idea of this sermon. And I think you, you hear the word introduce and you're like, oh, no, we've been building to this, to the whole point of the sermon, to the whole point of the text. Only the glorious image of the eternal God restored through our union with his son, Jesus Christ, is substantial enough to define who I am. It's the only thing weighty enough. It's the only thing glorious enough. It's the only thing substantial enough. I mean, imagine if we try to identify by the things that are horizontal to us, the, the other people in this room, the other people in our lives, the other, the other people in this world. They will fall because they too are plagued by the ad image of Adam. Imagine if we try to identify ourselves in, in line with the things of the world. They are below us. We are distinct from them. They'll never satisfy us. They'll never be enough for us. The only way we find satisfaction is to look up to the one who gave us our image to begin with to be satisfied by his image, to be fulfilled by his image. In his book, Union with Christ, which I would recommend to you to read, Rankin Wilburn helps describe this. He says, if you are in Christ, your life and your story become enfolded by one another, or by another story, another's story. You don't have to discover or craft, create or achieve, invent or reinvent your own identity. Your identity is found not deep within yourself but outside yourself. Your self-understanding becomes inseparable from who God says you are in Christ. Who are you? Your identity is no longer a construct of your own preferences and choices, accomplishments, or affiliations. You no longer stand alone. You no longer get the credit or the blame, the applause or the jeers. Reality is we've never had to identify ourselves. We were assigned an identity from the very foundations of the world. Image bearer of God. But because of Adam and his sin, we all inherited an image that separated us from it, that brought us to a place of identity crisis, so that not only did we not know what to do, we didn't want to do it. We rejected the God who gave us our identity. We ignored the God who gave us our identity. But in Christ, it all comes pouring and flooding back in. Conformed to the image of Christ is, is, is to see the image of God restored in our lives. <laughs> Why does it matter? I've said it matters a, a number of times, and I know that you're anxious to hear it, but anxious for me to finish, but why does it matter? Because think about all the damage, even if it's an intentional damage, even if it's not on purpose. Think about all the damage that we do to one another by demanding you be the source of my identity. Parents to children, think of the way it places on your kids if you need them to be So that you can be. That's crushing. Spouse to spouse, friend to friend, any relationship that you demand to be the source of your identity, you have sinned against that person by demanding them to be so you can be. The pursuit of those riches that we lost, the abundance that we lost, think about what damage has been done in the pursuit of wealth in the name of comfort And seeking security. How badly we've sinned against one another. The wars that have been waged over the desire for more. (laughs) The harm we cause because we don't do the thing that God called us to do from the very beginning. Only the glorious image of the eternal God restored through our union with his son Jesus Christ is substantial enough to define who I am and by so doing, inform what I do. We seek to capture this in our, in our church vision because of the gospel, because I am in Christ. We are no longer sinners. We are saints. We are no longer aliens, but citizens. We are no longer strangers, but sons and daughters of God. Because of the gospel, we are who we are individually. And it doesn't say it like this exactly, but... I I would just express it this way as we're sitting in this room. Because of the gospel, because we are in Christ, we are who we are individually. And because we are who we are individually, we can be who we are together. We can be one. Because of the gospel, because we are in Christ, we can live for Jesus' fame. We can do all that we do in worship and in honor of God. We can stand united as one people. We can serve one another selflessly. Just think about this think about this. When suddenly I don't need you for my own existence, when I have been so richly blessed by God, I can suddenly become a blessing to you. I don't need you. I have all I need. Every spiritual blessing. Peter says, all, I have, all we need for life and godliness is given to us by God. All I need, I don't need you. I get to be with you. I'm not sucking life out of you. I'm seeking to pour life in. How radically different is that? It matters. It's absolutely relevant. Because we we are in Christ, we can can live for Jesus' fame. We can proclaim the gospel. We can pursue his mission. We can seek to live according to what he's called us to do. We We can prioritize making him known in the world rather than making our own world known. Think about how different this is. Only the glorious image of the eternal God restored through our union with his son Jesus Christ is substantial enough to define who I am. When I finally know who I am, then I am, or or know him, then I am made alive and and I am therefore made able to Live. live. It matters. All of these things matter right now in this moment. And they matter when you get up and walk out that door as you interact and relate with one another. You live in a fallen world that's seeking to identify itself by all kinds of crazy stuff. We are image bearers of God. We are bearing Adam's image. But by faith, we can bear Christ's image. We can be in Christ. Let's pray.